You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We are in a series called Beyond Kings and Kingdoms, and this is the third week of this series. We're not really covering all the verses and all the chapters. On the first week, we've covered Daniel chapter 1, though it is not a thorough exposition. We have looked into Daniel chapter 2, which is really interesting. I would highly encourage you to listen or watch the preaching or the sermon from last Sunday because actually one sermon builds to the next one, to the other. So today we will look into Daniel chapter 3. I'd like for us to turn our Bibles for a while to Daniel chapter 3. All right, so we will read the entire chapter, but we don't really have time to cover all the verses. But what we're going to do is we're going to be picking some of these verses and we'll do some sectional exposition on this entire chapter. I would like for you to keep your Bibles open later, whether you have a physical one or a digital one. As we look into some of these verses, let's begin with Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Take note of the word set up. It keeps appearing here. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, all peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at the time... Certain Chaldeans, the spokespeople, remember from last Sunday, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Now, king, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these three men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now... This is the second chance. If you're ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made up, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And with the God will deliver you out of my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, worship, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. 
But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace seven times overheated, the flame of the fire killed even those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound, remember that, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselor, Did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True king, he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth one is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together, mga marites, and saw that the fire not had any power over their bodies of the men. The hair of their heads was not signed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and yielded up their bodies, then serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree and a people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for their is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's look into this now. I did say that we've covered Daniel chapter 2 last, and we will be pulling out some verses from Daniel chapter 3. But let me just start off by looking at Daniel chapter 2, at least the last few verses of Daniel chapter 2. This is how Daniel chapter 2 ended. You folks are the story, right? Of Daniel chapter 2. So this is how it ended. They were promoted because Daniel was able to, come on now, interpret the dream, isn't it? Right? So he was able to interpret the dream, something that the Chaldeans, the magicians, the sorcerers, astrologers were not able to do. I did say that it was actually a battle between the wisdom of the land and the wisdom of God. Right? So because, of course, the wisdom of God prevailed, we understand that Daniel, together with his three friends, were promoted. So it ended this way. Daniel chapter 2, verse 49. Here's what happened. Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. All right? Here's what happened. But, it says here, but Daniel remained at the king's court. All right? So I want you to understand this. Daniel chapter 3, as what we might have learned in our Bible stories when you were young, it's about, actually, people would say it's about the conviction of these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Babylonian names and their Hebrew names. But I think in heaven, they'll have their Hebrew names. Now, it talks about their conviction. So I wanted to start this off by looking at verse 49. They were promoted, and then eventually, the request of Daniel was that, here's what we can do, king, as a reward for us. As a reward for what we did, you go ahead and promote these three friends of mine while I stay here. Now, I want you to understand this. Yes, this is about the conviction of these three guys, their courage. But I'd like for you to understand, it's very clear here, that Daniel remained at the king's court. What is my point? Let me just start it off this way. My point is this. You will never always have your leaders with you. Catch it? Your pastor, your preachers do not go with you in your workplace. 
Alright? Your leaders, your disciples might be staying here and some of you might move to Manila, some of you might move to California, or some of you might move to Boracay or London, wherever. At the end of the day, I want you to understand this. The life of a Christian man is a missional life. Alright? Are you catching this? So it gives us a picture that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, your faith should always be hinged on God alone and not on any leaders that are around you. Alright, so let me just say this as early as now. God will bring you somewhere in the future. Or God will bring your leader somewhere in the future. But at the end of the day, hindi po buong buhay magkakasama tayo. Is it clear? Unless I adopt you, hindi po buong buhay magkakasama tayo. We might be together the next 5 years, 10 years, but I'm not quite sure the next 15 years or 20 years. But let me just tell you this. When God brings you somewhere, here's my promise to you. Your faith will be tested. And I want you to understand that this is a fact for anyone who claims that he has a commitment or loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the context of this. Now, they were on their own. They don't have Daniel with them, at least not physically together, but their designations were different. Daniel was in a different department, and they were on a different department. So we begin with Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what happens. Look at this. It says here, Then Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 3, verse 1, he made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So here's a picture. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 starts off by Nebuchadnezzar building a huge image of gold. Now, Bible is quite silent with regards to how it really looks like. Compared to Daniel chapter 2, during his vision, his dream, it was very clear how that image looked like. For this, with regards to what he built, it wasn't really clear. But we understand that this is such a huge structure. Alright? What's the tallest building in the city? Hotel Essentia. Way taller than Hotel Essentia, I would assume. Alright? So this is a tall structure, but it's not just tall, it's also wide. Though, take note of this one. Take note of this one. It says here, that this image that he has built is an image of. Now, I want you to understand that this is very important. This detail is very important because if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, isn't it? He had a dream. Prior to this, he had a dream. And that's the reason why Daniel was promoted because Daniel was able to tell him what the dream is and interpret the dream. Look at this. The dream says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 to 33, You saw king, and behold a great image, it says here, Yung Dream of King was an image and of exceeding brightness stood before and its appearance was frightening. It says here, the head of this image was of fine, was of fine gold. So what was the interpretation? The interpretation was, Daniel was like, here's the thing, your dream was, you dreamed of a big image and the head was gold, right? And the interpretation was, king, the head of gold is actually your kingdom. The head. But, it says here, it's chest and arms of silver. The chest and arms are of silver. And the interpretation of the dream was the Middle Persian kingdom or empire, an empire was actually lower than them, would actually rise up to overthrow their kingdom. Catch it? And if you remember, you remember it's not just that. There's also what? There's also Greece right here as bronze and the legs of iron is represented by the Roman Empire. That was the interpretation of the dream. Upon interpretation of the dream, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was quote-unquote repentant. It was like, okay, he started praising God. He bowed down before Daniel. But that's actually fake repentance. You know why? Because in Daniel chapter 3 verse 1, he was like thinking, huh? Head of gold pala, huh? So what he did was that he started making not just a statue that has a head of gold. He wanted to project to everyone, no, I have a firm grasp on my kingdom. So that's why he set up this huge structure in defiance to the ordination of the Lord. 
So meaning to say, you know, Daniel chapter 2 verse 21, Daniel said, It is God who sets up kings and brings down kings. And Nebuchadnezzar was actually being defiant. He was like saying no. By building this image, he was essentially saying no. I have a firm grasp on my kingdom. I will reject what your proposal is that God sets the parameters for my kingship. Are folks getting the picture? So now we understand that he was being rebellious. He wanted to overturn the prophecy. Alright? He wanted to overturn the prophecy. So what does he do? He builds this structure, this image of gold. So now, you won't see any silver. It's pure gold. Then what happens? Look at this. In verse which says here, Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather. Look at this. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the king, of the image of the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Last week, we had what? The summation of the wisdom of the land. Isn't it? Magicians, sorcerers, astrologers, the summation of the wisdom of the land. Here, you have the summation of the power of the land. All the important officials of the land were summoned to the dedication of this very temple. Now look at this. In verses 3 to 5, and they stood, all of them stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded. Look at this. You are commanded. Oh, look at this. Oh, peoples, nations, and languages. Here's an interesting thing. An interesting thing here that we should not miss out is the fact that the plane that we're talking about here is actually the same with the land of Shinar, which we understand is where Genesis chapter 11 happened. When people of all nations or all peoples came together to build what they call the Tower of Babel. In defiance to who God is. So in the same way, Nebuchadnezzar, actually spiritually speaking, is actually redoing that very thing. Are you getting the picture? For what? To showcase his own glory and to showcase his own power. Not just that. If you look at this, it says here, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound, look at this, of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon. I don't know even know what a trigon is. Harp, a bagpipe, and every kind of music. And every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You're talking about someone who orders worship. So, what do you have here? I'm just summarizing the story. We're going to get some of the points later. What do you have here? You have here, let me just read further. And whoever does not fall down and worship, verse 6, immediately be cast into a burning furnace. Right? It says here, peoples, nations, languages fell down and worship the moment they hear the sound. What do you have here? What do you have here? This is a forced and compulsory worship with a consequence if you do not fall down and worship. Now, what's interesting here is, if I look at this, you have horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and all kinds of music. Don't you think this sounds festive? Isn't it? It sounds festive, isn't it? With all of these musical instruments, we're not just talking about a herald shouting here. You have a very festive mood that's running and that's happening in this place. I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. Normally, even in our own lives, in our, even in our own lives, idols would always appear with all kinds of aesthetics. Idols are always attractive. Idols do not come to you to scare you away. Come on now. Idols will always come to us to attract us and to bring us to what? To worship it. And interestingly, with regards to you and I, with regards to our idols, sometimes we feel like dying when we don't get to worship our idols. You feel like, man, I badly, I badly want this. And you feel like you're being choked the moment you don't get enough of your idol. 
It's the same thing here. Idols are adorned this way. Idols are adorned with whatever that you can think of, music or something that appeals to the senses. And in the same way that death will happen here or might happen here, it gives us a picture as well that when we don't get enough of our idols, we feel like we're dying. Now, I'm not here, I'm not here to ask you what your idols are because I think that the Holy Spirit is telling you actually what your idols are. But in the same way, that is what we see here. Going back to the story, this is a forced worship with a corresponding consequence. With a corresponding consequence, here's what happens. All of these musical instruments started playing, all kinds of music, all these festivities, and this herald started shouting. The moment it played, everyone, boom, fell down and worshipped. You're getting the picture. Listen, immediately. You know why? Because this is forced worship. If you do not do so, you will be thrown into a fiery furnace. At the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They went to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, you live forever. Can I just summarize the story? Because we've read it a while ago. And the story goes, the story goes, you said, the moment all of us hear the music, we fall down and worship. King. King. They don't serve your God. Oh. The moment it was played, they stood up. They did not fall down and worship. Oh, sabi mo king, ingon ka king, those who will not bow down will be cast into the fiery furnace. So what happened here was, Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded, now pinatawag niya, okay, kinsamaning tulo, okay, bring them to me, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They stood before the king, and king said, is it true? Is it true that you did not bow down when you heard the trumpet sound, when you hear the lyre, when you hear the music played? Is it true that you did not fall down and worship? And what's interesting here was, actually, king Nebuchadnezzar, by virtue of the favor that they have received in Daniel chapter 2, gave them a second chance. King Nebuchadnezzar gave him a second chance. Okay, here's what's going to happen. second chance. I'll give you a second chance. Now, I'm going to have the music played, and you will immediately bow down and worship. If not, there's no more third chance. You will be cast immediately into a burning, fiery furnace. And here's what he says. Look at this. Here's what he says. And who is the God who can deliver you out of my hands? Interesting story. Here's what the three guys said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16 to 18, it says here. They answered to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They were like saying, this isn't debatable. This isn't up for negotiations. Here's what they said. If this be so, so our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, but if not be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. You know what they were saying? You know what they were saying? They were essentially saying, and I hope you catch this. I do understand that this is a common story to all of us, but I hope we catch the message of this. You know what they were essentially saying? Look at this. They said, we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. In essence, what they were saying is, the glory of our God is greater than our life. They were saying, the glory of the God that we worship and serve is more valuable than our own life. Therefore, we will not bow down to the image that you have set up. Here's my question. San nang gagaling yun? Why do you think they have such conviction? I mean, imagine this with me for a while. Let's say you're, let's say, you know, uh, Gigi, and someone threatens her and tells her, you have to bow down to this or else I'm gonna kill you, Gigi. And Gigi would say something like this, I'm not gonna do that. I will not bow down to what you have. I'm not gonna bend. I'm not gonna flinch and stuff like that. So, what they were essentially saying was, our life is not valuable if you put it side by side with the glory of God. Saan ang gagaling yun? Because they understand 
the first and the second commandment. That they ought not to worship any other God besides their God. Friends, listen. Your idols are anything that takes away your devotion from Christ. That is your idol. They understood that they're not supposed to worship any other God besides the God that they have. They also understood that they're not supposed to bow down and worship in any image that anyone in this world would set up. Now here's what's interesting. Can everyone look at verse 17 for a while? Look at verse 17. Fix your eyes on verse 17. Here's how they answered. The most powerful man in the land. Here's how they answered. If this be so, O king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I want you to understand this. If you look at verse 17, you have to understand that it cannot be read apart from verse 18. Catch it? Look at the words, but if not. Everybody say, but if not. Wait a minute. Isn't it that, diba, we are all taught at some point in our life that faith is, you believe that God is going to cause breakthrough to come into your life. So, are we saying that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah do not have enough faith for them to say the words, but if not? If you're a man of great faith, isn't it that you're going to say, God will deliver us, period? Isn't it? How come they mention the words, but if not? I want you to understand this, and this is very important because you listen to so many garbage preachings out there. I want you to understand this. Faith is not belief and confidence in a particular outcome. Faith and biblical and real faith is a belief in a sovereign God. That whether God brings you breakthrough or not, you will still worship Him. We have a warped imagination or thinking or learning about what faith is. We feel like, man, I've been praying for a car. I still don't have a car. Is there something inadequate about my faith? There's nothing inadequate about your faith if you believe in the sovereign will of God. They are actually displaying here what real faith is. Contrary to popular faith mindset, Faith, friends, listen, faith is measured not by the strength of your confidence or expectation. It's not the law of attraction. Come on now. Faith is not measured by the strength of your confidence and expectation, but rather it is measured by the substance of your conviction that says, whatever God ordains, I will trust Him. If it is death, so be it, I'm going to trust God. That is what biblical faith is. Whatever God ordains is good. Amen. Come on now. Whatever God ordains is good. Not what you think what good is, but sometimes you may not get the prayer request that you have, but it's doing you good. That's why we're being taught the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So faith is not just believing for particular outcomes. Faith is believing that God's sovereign will is playing out in our lives and you're totally fine with it. You know, faith tells us the tragedy does not mean that God's love for you have diminished. Faith teaches us that danger does not mean that God has failed. For them to say, but if not, it's not inadequate or lack of faith. It's actually biblical faith. That they understand at the end of the day, 
It's not about their wish. It's not about their dream. It's about the purposes of God. Amen. Look at the issue here. This is really interesting. If you look at verses 16 to 18, would you please go there for a while? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve. Look at this. Can everybody say deliver? Is able to deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. Look at this one. There are two issues here. Let me just summarize this. Ang issue dito, the issue here for Hananiah, Mishael, and Nazar is this. It's the issue of what? Deliverance and idolatry. Alright? If you want to summarize this, if you want to summarize this, it actually boils down to deliverance, idolatry, and worship. Are you catching it? So let me just go to those two words. Deliverance and idolatry. Now, how come they're able to pass this test? How come? You know why? Because, listen, if they knew the pages of the scripture, they understand and they fully know the stories of their forefathers. Because they know the stories of their forefathers, guess what? It's filled with what? With stories of idolatry and stories of deliverance. Stories of deliverance and stories of idolatry. It's filled. It's actually in your Bible because they know how to answer at the heat of the moment. Are folks catching this? I got some statistics. Look at this. The average time a Filipino spends on the internet every day is 10 hours a day. The average time a Filipino spends on social media every day is four hours a day. The average time to finish the entire book of Psalms is four hours. The average time to finish the entire New Testament is 17 hours. What is my point? They know the story of your forefathers. That's why they were able to survive and show their loyalty to God. If you are not a Bible-reading Christian, your discernment is flawed. Your wisdom is garbage. Your witness is ineffective. If we are not Bible-reading, I'm saying Bible-reading Christians, shame on us. Personally, I will never, ever trust a Christian who is not saturated with God's Word. If we can do four hours a day on social media, imagine the lips and bounds that you have covered in God's Word. No wonder when people ask wisdom from you, there's nothing you can give because there's nothing in there except the garbage on Facebook, the garbage on TikTok. And these three guys right here is teaching us something. They know the story. That's why they can stand in conviction. In short, all of us rather will bend during these times if we do not have God's word in us. Are you folks with me? My challenge for you is this. Get into your Bible. Get into God's Word. Never come here without your Bible. Don't miss a day without reading Scripture. Otherwise, our commitment to God is actually going to be doubtful. A lot of us are so noisy with all of this election thing going on. Can I remind you something? Can I remind and tell us something for a while? Is it okay? You realize that if you are a Christian and you are so noisy about politics and you are not making disciples, you are a hypocrite. You know why? Because if you're so noisy about politics, your thinking is 
It's actually not God's kingdom furtherance that's going to change the world. You think people or politicians will change the world. You become messianic about politicians. Where in fact, if you understand again God's word, Genesis, Matthew, Revelation. If you understand God's word, it's the gospel that will change this world. So if you're not making disciples, shut up. You lose the right, actually, to become messianic about all of these politicians. Go out there and make disciples if you want to see change come into our land and to the nations of the world. These three guys are actually teaching us a lot of things. Look at this. It says here, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Let me just go straight to verse 22. But the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated seven times. Look at this one. How hot was that furnace? The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You catch that? The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Guess what? King Nebuchadnezzar, Kebs. So what? Doesn't care. That's what idols do to you. It destroys your life, but it also destroys the lives of the people around you. If you're addicted to last you're addicted to money, you're addicted to any sorts of idols in your life, it doesn't just destroy you, it will destroy your kids, your children, your wife, your parents, the people around you. There is a collateral damage for every worship of idol that we do. That's what we see here. That's what we find here. Eventually, we understand Shadrach, Mishnah, and Abednego was thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. You look at church history. This happens. When you stand up for God, come on now. When you are loyal to God, you will be persecuted. Come on. Isn't it? When you're committed to God, you will be persecuted. Polycarp was persecuted. Ignatius of Antioch was persecuted. John Huss was persecuted. Martyrs are being persecuted in our times right now. If you aren't persecuted because of your faith, now you start asking, are you really standing up? Are you really speaking up? Are you really preaching? Are you really witnessing? If everybody is a friend, perhaps you're not being a witness to the people around us. We go to the wonderful part of this message, of this story. Daniel chapter 3 verse 24, here's what happens. The story is, what happened? They were, they were bound, isn't it? They were bound. They were bound. They were thrown. Catch it? In a furnace that is what? Seven times hotter. How hot was the furnace? Even those who threw them burned and died. That's how hot it is. Listen, that's how angry Nebuchadnezzar is when you touch his idol. So what happens? Here's what happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselor, Hey, hey, he was like, did we not? Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? How come? The answer, yes, true king. How come? I see four men. Everybody say four men. How come I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt? And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God. Come on now. You know what's interesting here? Sometimes we pray. Our prayer is like this. Our prayer is, Lord, I pray that I will not be wheeled in the operating room. I pray that you would heal me. And that's not a bad prayer, of course. We're appealing to the mercy of God. Listen. Look at this. God did not deliver them from the fire. God delivered them in the fire. You, you folks catch that? Sometimes our mindset is, look at this one. I see four men. How do they look like? They are what? Come on now. They were unbound. They were unbound. 
Sometimes we think, here's how deliverance looks like. This is the fire. Deliverance is, oh, I am unbound. I was delivered. But listen. They were delivered, not from the fire, but they were delivered in the fire. The thing that bounds them was let loose in the fire. They were unbound in the very fire. They were in the midst of the fire, in the middle of the fire. Sometimes it's the fire that purges and frees us. When they were unbound, verse 25, when they were unbound, what they were doing? Come on now. They were walking. Listen. When they were unbound, we understand that they were walking. What were they doing in the fire? They were walking in the fire. You may be in the fire, but God is walking with you in the fire. I look at this, and it's true. This is actually literal fire. And God was walking with them in the fire. I think about this. So, to a certain extent, how does this apply to us? If we are at the thick of the fire at the ICU, listen to this. God is walking with you. When we are at the thick of the fire in our relationships, God is walking with us. And what's interesting here is that if I ask this question, and I ask, I'll ask this question. Who among you wants to be close to God? I would assume all of us. If anyone here would want to be close to God, okay, fine. But are you willing to go through the fire? Are we willing to go through the fire? Because why will we despise the fire if God is in the fire? Sometimes our idea of favor and blessing it's when things fall right in place for us. But we don't understand that blessing and favor is actually going through the circumstances and difficulties in our lives, not on our own, but with God walking with us. Why wouldn't we want to be in the fire if God is in the fire? Let me show you something later. I'll show you something about the relationship of God and fire. I'm going to go there later. But let me just say something. Let me just cover a few things for a while. It says here, the fourth is like a son of the gods. We understand that this is the pre-incarnate Christ, as we find in Daniel chapter 7. It was the pre-incarnate Christ. It was, it's called Christophany. Jesus himself was there for Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And as a result, then King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Satraps, prefects, governors, kings, counselors, gathered together. The summation of the power of the land, guess what? Witnessed a miracle. Can I say it this way? The congressman. The senator, the treasurer, the COA representatives, the people at BAR, they've witnessed this miracle happening in their very own eyes. Here's my question. Had they not been faithful, will they have this platform for these pagans to see the power of God? There is a cost to following God, but there is a reward in all of these things. And at the end of the day, we understand that this is about witness. Witnessing the power of God among these people. I want you to understand this. You will not have moments like this. You will not have moments like this if you're not faithful. If you're not loyal to Christ. If you're wimp in your faith. Pag ikinahiya mo si Lord, you will not have moments like this. Don't you ever think that you will be given a platform to preach? Pag malabnaw yung conviction mo. Nebuchadnezzar answered, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Mishan, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands, yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree 
and a people, nation, language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be torn limb from limb. The decree was overturned. If you curse God for the people in the land, then you will be punished. It's interesting that as I look at this, can you go to verses 19 to 23? Look at the words burning fiery furnace. Everybody say burning fiery furnace. Now, I want to show you something. There is something here about God and fire and God in the fire. Now, what I'm going to attempt now is to show you scriptures that gives us a picture about God's relationship with fire. Quote-unquote relationship. How can God save you in the fire? Perhaps that's the question. Look at this. Look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 17 to 18. It says here, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, look at this one, it says here, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Catch it? Passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, When God showed up in the Old Testament, His glory is referred to as a burning fire. Catch it? When God made a covenant with Abraham, it appeared on a what? A smoking fire and a flaming torch. Now, look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Follow with me. It says here, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a... Come on now. Flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was, the bush was burning. God gave instructions to Moses in a burning bush. Here's another thing. God led his people out of Egypt through what? Exodus chapter 13 verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire. God guided them through a pillar of fire. Look at this. How was God's presence manifested in Sinai? Exodus chapter 19, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 16 to 17. Look at this. This is talking about judgment. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors and under his glory, a, come on now, a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire and His holy one a flame and it will burn and devour His thorns and briars in one day. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 33, For a burning place has long been prepared. Indeed, the king is made ready, its fire made deep and wide with a fire and wood in abundance. Look at this one. The breath of the Lord. Yikes. Have you ever read this verse before? The breath of the Lord, like a river of sulfur, kindles it. Sometimes we think, when we say the glory of God, it's all these kinds of light shining. You realize Hollywood created that. Of course, there are scriptural references to that, the bright light that caused Paul to be blind. But we realize that that's actually just a portion of the story when we actually stand before the presence of the Lord. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 31 verse 9. His rock shall pass away in terror and his officers desert the standard in panic declares the Lord. Who Look at this. Whose fire is in Zion is the mountain of the Lord. Where God dwells. And look at this one. Whose, come on now furnace is in Jerusalem. Have you ever thought 
how God's throne looks like. Have you ever thought of that? When we say the throne of God, how does it really look like? Look at this. Daniel chapter 7 verse 9. As they looked, thrones were placed. Look at this. And the Ancient of Days stood his seat. His clothing was white as snow. And the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flames. Not just that. Its wheels were what? Were burning fire. This is like the Nicolas Cage movie. If you go further, read down to verse, it talks about river of fire. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. For our God is a... Come on now. Is a... He isn't just fire. He's a consuming fire. No wonder you don't want to get close to God. You see the holiness of God, you die. That's how holy God is because His presence is a consuming fire. Look at this. Malachi chapter 4 verse 1. At the end of the days and times, for behold, the day is coming. Look at this one. Burning like an oven. Para mainit ngayong summer. But it says here, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stable, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze. Have you ever heard about the second coming of Christ? We know that Christ will come back. Amen. So here's my question. How does Christ come back? How will He come back? Look at this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 to 8. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. How will the earth be destroyed? How will the earth be destroyed? We will freeze to death. Nope. That's not what the Bible tells us. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up. And dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. But if you read up until verse 11 to 12, it tells us what kind of people do we ought to be when this time comes. We have to be like Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Set apart. When this time comes. Isaiah chapter 33 verse 14 the sinners in Zion are afraid, trembling, has seized the godless. Look at this. Here are two questions for everyone. Who among us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with a consuming fire? Then it says here, who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? In short, who can stand in the presence of a holy and glorious God? Why did I share that? Why did I share that? Let me ask this question to all of us now. How can God save you in the fire? 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 He loves to come in flames. How can God save you in the fire? I want you to understand this. Christ suffered the fiery furnace of God's wrath on the cross to save us from the penalty of sin. It is now a great privilege to live our life for Him the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Because our God is a consuming fire. If I understand who my God is, that He comes in flames, He manifests Himself in burnings. So whether it is literal or figurative fire, I'm going to go through it because I know I can trust that my God will be walking with me in the fire. Daniel chapter 3 verse 26, look at this. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near, can you read this with me? Near to the, huh. He came near to the door. The guys were the door. The mighty men who threw them were consumed by fire. Why was the king not consumed by the fire? Yun ang tanong. Why was the king not consumed by the fire? I don't have time to look into Daniel 4. But interestingly, in Daniel 4, there was also a dream. So there was also something that was standing, but it was a tree. In Daniel chapter 3, it was an image. And both this actually represents Nebuchadnezzar. Both are tall in chapter 3 verse 4, chapter 4 verse 14. Both have heralds. And these are actually both pictures of judgment. And both actually gives a picture of a second chance. Here's what I want us to understand. First, what Nebuchadnezzar built was an idol. What God showed him was a tree. An idol is all self-acclaiming, self-advertising, self-marketing. It's all about the self. A tree, God tells him, is a picture of what leadership really is. Why? Because it gives life to the people around you. It's not all about you. We also understand that there was judgment, isn't it? But guess what? That judgment was actually proclaimed by King Nebuchadnezzar publicly. God told him about his judgment in Daniel chapter 4 privately. In fact, it was like an appeal. God was like telling him, Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, wake up. It's not about you. You're not the real king. I am the real king. I've been showing you in my dreams. Look at this. If you remember, during their judgment, there was one word that I asked you to say a while ago. It is the word immediately, isn't it? But here, his judgment came a year after. In fact, friends, his judgment was not the same with his kind of judgment. His judgment was, oh, throw them so they will die in the fire. His judgment was just a punishment for him to come into his senses. And it came a year later. God withhold the judgment. Going back to that question, Daniel chapter 3, verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of a burning furnace. Why was the king not consumed? Listen, everyone, because God, because God is a long-suffering God. God is a patient God that even to those who throws their fist at Him, He shows Him, He shows them patience so that they will turn their hearts to Him. Listen, I want you to understand this. The Bible tells us that we are able to love God because He loves us first. In short, God, He was not consumed with the fire because God is a long-suffering God. God was being patient with Him. You know what's the result of that? Here's a result of that. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 to 37. At the end of the days, here's what he says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to the heaven. May reason return to me. And I bless the Most High and praise and honor Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stand, can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? His declaration is actually a more powerful song than Daniel chapter 2 verse 21. Why was He able to say this? Because God was patient with him. Because God was patient with him. And he had restoration. And God moved in his heart. Verse 37, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the King of Heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in, shayun, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This narrative that we have here is filled with things that we can actually apply to our own lives. If you're here today and you've been turning down invitations 
you've been rejecting preachings, I want you to understand this. God is being patient with you. But His patience is an invitation for you to trust Him. His patience is an invitation for you to submit yourself fully and wholly to Him. If you're here today and you are a Christian, but you're living a double life, you claim and confess to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, but you're not committed to Christ, you're not loyal to Christ, apart from the fact that you will not have a platform to witness effectively, I want you to understand this. In the same way, God is being patient with you. But as we understand in God's Word, God's patience will run out. There is a day of reckoning. There is a day of retribution. There is a day of punishment. There is a day wherein we will stand before God and give an account for how we have lived our lives. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.